You know, the trouble with, uh, with these podcasts always is the fact that uh, we never quite know exactly what we're going to do. But what we're going to do this time around, by the way, I just, I just got an email from Chris Wells at World Archery. He had two things to say. He likes the podcast. He's a little butthurt about my comment about the, uh, <laughs> about the World Archery website. Remember where I said that the World Archery website is kind of like dating a supermodel? Looks, <laughs> looks really good, but it's a bit difficult at times. You know, I figured this side out. It works for me. There's some tabs you have to maneuver, but once you've got it, you've got it. So, so. here's what kind of hurts my feelings about the uh, World Archery website. Uh, a couple days ago, they put out a like a tweet or a press release or something like that, and it basically said, the World Archery website is designed to reflect the preferences of the young people who are making up the future of our sport. So you are old? That's kind of what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't even know how to feel about that, except to say that, uh, well, fine. I stand by my original statement, and we'll just leave it at that. I love when you start recording the show, and I'm not aware of it. Well, that's, you know, that's the other thing Chris said. He said, oh, you guys need to have a set introduction for the show. You know, like maybe I'm thinking he's thinking like a music bed, you know, and, and something that sounds. And now from the Easton Studios in Salt Lake City, Utah, the Easton Target Podcast with Steve the. I only wanted if I can have John Cena music as I walk in the door triumphantly. We need to have video as well. Uh huh. Well, that's not going to happen. We're just going to do it the way we're doing it because people seem to like it this way so far. Let's hope. All right. So we're going to start the show uh, by uh, mentioning that here's what we've got coming up. First, we're going to do a few listener questions that we've gotten uh, since the last show. Then we have a very special guest. Very, very special guest. And we have Rob Coffold from Lancaster Archery sitting here right to my left. Yes, we right do. Right to and, my and left. What we're going to do, yeah, immediately your left. Yeah. yeah. So Rob and I will speak for a little while about the subject of what it was like to grow up in, a, in an archery family. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his dad and, and crossbow and, and some of that stuff. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like in the archery business, you know, having uh, gone from being a, a collegiate archer to one of the biggest archery tycoons in the country. So... <laughs> he's shaking his head (laughs) i think he's gonna leave i'm gonna stop all right but first let's uh let's address a couple of listener questions that came in the kind question from uh, jonathan could you tell me please what are the advantages and disadvantages of carbon aluminum and composite shafts and specifically why some of the composites are metal over carbon and some are carbon over metal all the target models are metal core with a carbon coating so the hunting models are the reverse. That would be the FMJ that he's thinking of. Mm-hmm. All right. So first, let's understand carbon fiber works best when it's the furthest away from the center of the shaft. So it's a, that's where it's the stiffest. We call that having the highest moment of inertia for you geeks out there. But basically, what that is, is it's a, it's a consideration of we want the lightest yet smallest diameter combination for an outdoor target arrow, but we want the densest and most penetrating yet strong combination for a hunting arrow. So the FMJ type design, very high penetration. Yeah, aluminum around carbon. Yeah, and it also helps kind of contain the carbon. So if the shaft breaks in a game animal, uh, it's a little less messy. Whereas with the target arrow, we have the maximum performance available by having the characteristic of the carbon on the outside. And the aluminum provides for extra strength and extreme precision as well as extreme straightness. So, yeah, I mean, you could talk a lot about the consistency of aluminum, and a lot of shooters will notice that just with uh, what they've always said, you know, hey, my aluminum arrow shot so awesome, so awesome. Well, 
an aluminum carbon arrow has a lot of those great characteristics of the precision of aluminum, the consistency of the material versus the consistency of carbon. Um, not that carbon arrows can't be made consistent, but you can really do a lot with an aluminum core. So it gives you the best of both worlds in some way. So hopefully that answers that question. If you need uh, more detail, just shoot us a, uh, a message at podcast at eastontp.com. All right, next one comes from the fellow who's freaked out by when we call you Steve the... The big cat. Anderson. Yeah. It's Jeff, and Jeff is saying, hi, George and Steve. Um, by the way, he likes the podcast, so yeah. that's a nice thing. He's probably our first listener, so... It might be. Yeah. Uh, had to laugh at your guys' reaction to my previous email regarding the big cat comment. Sorry, but you asked for feedback, just offering an opinion smiley face. Okay. We're thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Question, still looking for comments on the various Knox systems available. I think what happened is I, I saw his big cat comment and ignored his actual question. Sorry about that, Jeff. Uh, when would one pick one system over the other? What are the considerations one should ponder? Now, because he didn't specify, we are going to need to get into the various categories of target archery just so we can clarify that. First off, Knox systems. Insert Knox glue-on knocks, external fit knocks, mm -hmm. three kinds. What considerations are there? If you're shooting a recurve bow and you have good clearance, you have the option of using an external fit and out knock, and the most popular by far is the biter out knock. Ojin Hyuk was using uh, our Easton out knocks a few years back, which uh, you know, are actually pretty good, but the biter is the de facto standard for out knocks. People love them. The downside of those is uh, maybe not as durable as some other options out there. So if you're looking for durability, maybe not an outknock. If you're looking for something that's comfortable on your fingers and is really easy to see in the target, maybe not too much better out there than an outknock. Now, a internal fit knock is something that Biter actually started back in the early 1980s. They, they made their bones on having people cut the cones off aluminum arrows and using a direct fit knock. One of the things about aluminum arrows, though, is that the cone is actually really, really, really accurate because of the way that it's made and how it fits uh, on the arrow in terms of its its axis, its uh, its alignment. So the cone was always actually really super accurate, but the biter knock made the arrow lighter and became very popular, particularly with indoor finger shooters. Hmm. That's uh, kind of opposite of what I would have thought. I mean not having grown up shot and shot those and shooting those arrows with the, uh, with the actual cone and the, the glue on conventional knock, I think we call it. I, I would have assumed those would get a little sloppy on tolerance. But. No, the reason is because of where they're supported when they, when they grind the cone. So they support the arrow like about five inches from the back and that forces the cone to be perfect hmm. referent to the axis of the arrow. So a lot of people never realized that, but the cone is actually the way to go. Now, once you hit one, it's yeah. maybe not so great. And there were, there were tools out there back in the day, the Kudlicek tool, that were used to kind of reshape the cone, but it was never quite the same after that. Now, then we've got the, uh, the more modern options like pin knocks. Okay, pin knocks were really developed by us here at Easton originally with the intent of trying to protect arrows from other arrows. So if you had your pin knock, and uh, you hit, got hit by another arrow. You might ding the pin. You might destroy the pin. But your arrow, odds are, would be okay. And it wouldn't create a big deflection for the incoming arrow. So you wouldn't lose too many points that way. So the pin knock system is really good because it protects your arrows. It's super accurate. Biter makes a great pin knock. We make 
arguably, uh, you know, the original. And um, ours is a single cavity. Theirs is a single cavity. So it comes down to your preference. If you like biter knocks and the asymmetric biter knock is a great biter, great knock, uh, then by all means, uh, you have the option. Yeah, and diving into that a little further on the pin knocks, I mean, we have our standard X10 pin knock, which is the smaller version, weighs about two grains. Then we have our G pin knock, uh, a little larger, probably not the best if you're needing more finger clearance, mm-hmm. but if you're compound shooting a release, I personally think that's the way to go. It's a little beefier, four grains. Um, we recently revamped that. It's got a great fit on the string. Um, it's a, a single click now, and, and if you're – Using the G pin knock, it's a it's a ninety eight thousandths throat. You probably want to have a about, about a 110, 112 thousand string. Yeah, gets you a really good fit. I really yeah. really do like the the G pin knock. Okay, so that hopefully answers the the question there, and uh, we appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks very much. Yeah, uh, one thing I don't think we touched on is uh, on the new on the push in knocks. We have some new options coming. Uh, one I've tested a lot is the uh, the deep six knock. It's not new. We've had it on hunting arrows for a few years now, and actually, realistically, it's about twenty years old. It was yeah, we made the original stubby knock that we didn't bring out. Yeah, that was sort of the uh, the predecessor. It's almost exactly the same, actually. Yeah, and we tested those considerably, and I, I don't remember exactly why we didn't bring them out. They were just a little ahead of their time back yeah. then. But um, if you are shooting a, a, an arrow that accepts a G knock right now, take a look at the deep six knock. We're going to have it in some more color options. Something I really, really liked in my testing this year. Shot on 3D arrows and uh, had a lot of luck with it. I think it's a good one. So we're going to have it in more color options. Are you previewing what we're going to do next I think, year? I think I just dropped the 2016 Deep Six Knock product line. Okay. Well, I'm glad Rob was here to hear it firsthand. <laughs> we got to tell him some stuff. You speaking, know? Yeah. Well, you know, he's speaking of Rob Coffold. Steve's going to hand the microphone to Rob right now. And then he's going to come back in a few minutes for the close of the show. Thank you, Steve. Rob. I am really happy to have you here uh, in our podcast because uh, you're somebody I've known for as long as I've been in the sport. And, uh, you know, you you come from an archery family. And uh, I I remember my first time touring at Full Adjust back in the day, you know, when it was Full Adjust Archery. And it was a machine shop downstairs that was actually an OEM for some important companies like AMP and, you know, making EDM parts for, you know, it's high-tech stuff you know by any standard the finest in machining and of course my first encounter with your products back then was using your apertures everybody used the full adjust aperture because famously j bars won the olympic games with full adjust yeah so uh rob coffold thank you and welcome to the easton podcast well i appreciate uh you and steve having me so you know um you're here in salt lake city you're on a hunt is that right you were up in montana hunting yeah was up in montana elk and, and deer hunting how'd that go well, uh, the elk won one this year. I, I did uh, even the score with the deer, though. Well, you are in their in their native habitat. It's not so easy. Hey, uh, you know, when we talk about Rob Coffold and Archer, we've got to talk about the Coffold family and its influence in the sport and, and Pennsylvania and its influence in the sport. So growing up in PA, your dad being a notable archery guy and, and crossbow guy in particular, he was uh, a member of the National Crossbowman. Mm-hmm. Those were the guys, for, for those of us who remember, those were the guys that were out at Havighurst during Oxford Nationals with their 50-meter targets, something like that? Yeah, 60, 50, and 40. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, they were kind of over there, and the rest of us shooting recurve bows didn't understand it at all, but, you know, you, uh, to this day, you still see them in Vegas, 
maybe not as uh, many as there used to be, but um, one of the things that uh, the Coffold Machine Shop was known for was custom building these these compounds for high-end target shooting. Yeah, the field crossbows, they were called. And you grew up as a shooter. Yes. And shot in college. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about that. I'm probably, I'm one of the country's oldest Joad kids. Uh, you know, grew up shooting in uh, the York York Archers Joad and, uh, you know, uh, grew up shooting in the same time frame as Tom Stevenson and Jay Bars and Rick McKinney and Scott Kurtz and Scott Kurtzen, yeah. Rick Bednar. Uh, you know, many of many of those people are still in it. And uh, one of the reasons is they shot collegiately. You know, back then we all aspired to shoot in the collegiate program. And uh, somehow we got an education while we were doing it. And uh, maybe know, in it, spite it, of it. Yeah, it's, it, it served many of us well. Well, with that said, you know, at that time, did you guys run a pro shop per se? I mean, did you have an archery shop there? No. No, I, growing up, uh, my dad and my grandfather were um, archers, avid archers since the late 1940s. In Pennsylvania, uh, Dutch in, country. In Pennsylvania, yeah. Dad was one of the top archers in the East in the, I'd say, the late 50s through the early 60s in that era. Uh, shot both barebow and, and with sights, of course, recurve only. And some and, very famous tournaments from back then, the Eastern yes. and some of those that were in, in the Philadelphia area. Yeah, the United Bowmen of Philadelphia, the oldest archery club in the U.S. Is, you know, Dad was a, a board member of for years. And uh, so I, I grew up in archery. I have pictures of me when I was in diapers, you know, st- sitting there watching Dad shoot and been shooting since I'm about 18 months old and we've done the same with our kids we got them shooting a bow as soon as they could stand and walk we had a bow and an arrow in their hand and and uh, you know so archery's been uh, it's a great life as as any podcast listener knows it's a it's an awesome sport it's awesome to uh, teach life skills and and the the discipline of life through archery so you're you know you're an important archery businessman specializing in target archery you know clearly you've got a great bow hunting shop too but this is a target archery podcast we're gonna we're gonna focus on that and um, I don't think there's any company uh, that I've seen that carries more stuff uh, certainly not in the United States more target archery stuff than than Lancaster you carved out a a real niche I think for for that particular market well. Uh my life's been all about target archery, Olympic recurve specifically, but, um, you know, all, all disciplines of competitive archery from, you know, bare bow and traditional to compound target and, and 3d and every Avenue. And, and it's really what we're passionate about. We have, uh, uh, Dan Schuler, who's an Olympic, uh, yeah, shadow team member and, uh, you know, quite a few talented archers that are, are part of the team there. And we're literally, you know, a, a, a company of archers. Every person uh, at Lancaster Archery shoots. Part of their 90-day review is getting a uh, a bow uh, and an arrow or a $250 credit toward whatever they want. So at every company function, we're shooting our bows. And you've got some uh, notable shooters behind the scenes providing uh, archery instruction now and providing consumers advice on the phones and taking care of uh events that you know they'll go to events that kind of thing yeah so that's uh that's a lot of effort and a lot of outreach that that your company does these days well we we kind of look at it as evangelizing for the sport of archery and every decision that we make is uh what's best for the sport 
Yeah, so that's notable. Uh, you've been working to grow the sport personally and with your company. Tell us about some of the efforts you've been making uh, to do that. Well, about two years ago, we uh, when when we moved to our distribution center, we had uh, what was the old warehouse downstairs uh, that we turned into the Lancaster Archery Academy. And in the last two years, it uh, started almost exactly two years ago, uh, we've introduced nearly 5,000 people in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area to the sport of archery. We hold uh, level two, level one, level two, level three certifications. Um, you know, we do a lot in, uh, you know, everything from explore bow hunting and, and certifications to uh, uh, just introducing newbies to the sport of archery. That's something that uh, we have to consider as being an investment in the future because those 5,000 people may very well go on to become the future of our sport, archery coaches. And it all started with uh, a small machine shop in, in, uh, on old Philadelphia Pike. And I think that's, that's a great story. It's a great story of American success, and it's a great story of a family committed to a sport. Well, we, uh, we're very thankful to all of our friends, customers, um, you know, people that have helped us along the way. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, the next 20 years, uh, looking forward to making a difference in the sport. Actually, you know, I'd really like to talk about the tournament a little bit, though, because it's grown. It's are you 11th year now? Uh, this is our 13th, lucky 13th number 13. Year. Wow. And, um, you know, to kind of honor that, we have a capacity this year of 1,300 wow. archers that uh, will will fill the place. Sorry, sorry, I just had to take over. I wanted to mention the dates of your tournament. It actually works out great for a lot of you European listeners. If you're making your way over to Vegas, um, it follows follows Neem. So Neem is the 15th, 16th, 17th. Uh, Rob's tournament, I believe, is the 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Yes, that Thursday through, su- through Sunday. Yeah, so if you got a little extra holiday... It uh, might be great to to hit Rob's tournament on your way into Vegas. It's some good practice too. We've got uh, one hundred and forty five thousand dollars in cash and prizes. Fifteen thousand dollars for first on the pro men's side. Yeah, and that's uh, having shot it. I just shot it the one time, and I had a, a great time there. Um, I I am gonna self promote a little bit. I had an infamous letdown. I let down. There was a in the finals. You shoot a thirty second clock, and I actually let down, drew back. With about ten seconds left, I did I did shoot an X, but um, just to give you a little insight on it, Rob was sitting about three feet behind me. I think I actually hit him with my release hand a few times, um, talking into his microphone during every shot. It was probably the most pressure packed shoot down I've ever been a part of, and but it was a lot of fun, a great tournament. Um, if you have a chance, you you really need to make it to that one. And and this year with the way the schedule works out with Vegas, if you're coming from Europe or anywhere from overseas, it's it's worth the trip. I promise that. It'll be a pressure-packed uh, event. We have Cedric from Hit the Roof in Switzerland coming to produce our live video feed and the television coverage for the event uh, on his way to Vegas. So come come join Cedric at Hit the Roof on the way um, to Vegas. Um, we will have a great time. I promise you that uh, we roll out the red carpet. We'll feed you for the weekend. You'll have a great time. I remember excuse me, I remember previous tournaments at Lancaster that I've shot in the past where the hospitality alone must have cost 10 times the cost of, you know, the, the income from the tournament. That's You're famous for that. Well, it's kind of the, the Lancaster County way. You know, we, we want every single person to know how much we appreciate them coming and they're treated as a guest. 
You certainly are made to feel that way when you visit Lancaster's uh, tournaments. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that with 1,300 people, I mean, think about that. A few years ago, that was the Vegas number. And now the East has its own Vegas, basically, from the standpoint of not just the number of participants, but also really good uh, facility now with the convention center that you've got, reasonably uh, priced and located hotels and all that? Oh, yes. Hotels in our area are very reasonably priced. Lancaster's a small city. And uh, so we've we've got that. The facility is uh, basically an indoor soccer and lacrosse uh, facilities for indoor lacrosse and soccer fields. Can I get you to explain the format a little bit? Because it's a little different than most indoor tournaments that most people who may be listening may be acquainted with. Sure. Like Star Trek Classic, we have a 60 arrow, um, you know, standard indoor round. This year we'll be shooting at a vertical three spot. And uh, based on that uh, qualification round, we'll take the top 64 men, uh, pro men, and the top 64 uh, amateur men. Uh, and other classes typically will take the top 16. We'll make the elimination round. Uh, we'll shoot an elimination round uh, matches, just like you're used to in, in world archery. Uh, we'll shoot matches to eliminate down to the top eight in the two larger classes and the top four in the other classes. Then we re-rank, and you'll start to shoot four, three, two, one, or eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. So, uh, as an instance, if so, uh, one versus eight. Uh, no, no, eight. It's a shoot up. We call it a shoot up round. Yeah, go ahead, please explain. So, that. if uh, let's say you go in ranked eighth and Big Cat here is ranked second, uh, you can run the table, and many people have. You know, you shoot against the number seventh ranked archer. If you beat him, then you move up and you shoot against the sixth ranked archer, and so on. And we've had people like Kendall Woody and others that have r almost run the table and end up shooting against Rio or Chris, uh, well, Rio or um, uh, Chris or Jesse or one of the top guys. Mm. Uh, but if, if Big Cat goes in ranked second and he loses his match, uh, the worst he ends up is third. You can only lose one place. Yeah, I think the year I got into the top eight the, the one time I went it was I was seventh and I shot against uh, Jeff Hopkins first then against uh, so you beat him. yeah I won that match and then uh, Doug Doug Williams from uh, he's from PA area right yeah um, and then I, I was I was put out the next round so I ended up sixth overall but uh, yeah it, it, the cool thing is every arrow you've shot Counts. goes into that re-ranking so if you do hit top eight um, they take your qualification, then every head-to-head -head match, and they count all those arrows, and then re-rank you. It's a it's a cool format. It's one you'll never shoot anywhere else. That's why it's more fun. I think we all kind of get burnout shooting the same thing time and time again. So to have something new and different is always welcome. It's pressure-packed and great uh, great practice for the shootout format or or for the pressure that uh, you'll experience in Vegas. Particularly good timing that you have switched to the uh, vertical face because people will be coming from Nîmes, where they shoot the vertical face, the former Dutch face, as it used to be called, and that's the World Archery standard face. So now you're you're shooting that same face. That'll be really uh, 27 arrows. That's right. Good point, yeah. Steve. But, um, you know, other than that, I mean, it's going to be feeling a lot more normal for people just coming off the other tournament. Right. Well, Rob, I, I wish you luck this year. I think that that's, uh, you know, 13 years is, is an amazing run, but here's to the next 13 years. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, 13 years I'll be on Social Security. And, <laughs> You'll have one of yeah. your kids running the thing. Yeah, I'll be in my late 60s. Well, yeah. that's okay. You know what? This is a sport where it doesn't quite matter how old you are. So we'll be in a good position to uh, to uh, grow old in this thing and watch it go. I, I really am looking forward, though, to, uh, to seeing the video coverage uh, that Cedric and his team will be bringing to it. And I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Well, that's great. We'll have you have to have you as a commentary one of these years. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll figure that one out sometime. Anyway, Rob Coffold from uh, Lancaster Archery. I can't thank you enough for joining us for our podcast today, and uh, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you. You've been a friend for a long time. Rob, can't thank you enough for having joined us here for uh, our podcast, uh, Rob Coffold, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Steve, um, we've got the uh, Rio test event going on, uh, just wrapping up actually, and uh, I think we've got some time here for a quick wrap-up. By the way, um, shout-out to Greg Easton, who, uh, besides being our boss, is also running the test event and the Olympic Games archery event as the technical delegate. He's not the competition manager, but he is the technical delegate. What that means is... um, He's got the job of making sure everything's running correctly. Everything from the hotels have enough towels to uh, the targets are in the right spot on the field. It's a pretty big job. Yeah, he'll uh, he'll hold it down. Make yeah, sure well, he's got ready. experience in this yeah. sort of thing, you know. I think he's done it for past Olympics too, hasn't he? No, but he has uh, run the World Cup uh, successfully. In fact, the most popular World Cup for athletes. Uh, voted by the athletes, the one that was here in Ogden for three years, and the one we've got coming up. Here in Salt Lake City starting in 2017. Yeah. We'll have a string of World Cups in 17, 18, and 19. So Greg, uh, more than comfortable helping to run that event. Yeah, he'll handle it. Hey, look at these recurve women's results. What do you see that's special to you? I'm thinking that that Mackenzie Brown is something else. Yeah, Mackenzie Brown pulled a uh, bronze medal out of the test. She sure did. She beat my friend Kaori Kawanaka of Japan. Uh, somebody that I've worked with over there. And um, Mackenzie, congratulations. 7-1 victory. That's overwhelming. Yeah, the other side of that, um, looking at these results, Korea wins again. As yeah, a team. well, that's, you know. Have never lost a, an Olympic gold medal, right? No, I don't know about test event. Women? But, no, yeah. I don't think they've lost since, 2000, since well, as long as there's been a team round, which is 88. Yeah, they've won every gold. Uh-huh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they were also the individual gold medalists of the, of the Los Angeles Olympic Games starting way back in 1984. Hmm. So. What year were you born? 88. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob is still in the room. And Rob he's, just put his head down. He just put his head down. <laughs> I would too, but I'm still on the podcast. So, On the gold medal round for the recurve women, it was uh, the great Tanya Ting of Chinese Taipei versus... Uh, Choi Misun of Korea, and the outcome of that was a 7-1 victory for Miss Choi. Miss Tan is something else, though. She she won the uh, U.S. Open here a few years ago. Uh, it was in Yankton and uh, has just been consistently one of the top shooters from Chinese Taipei. Shockingly, the women of Chinese Taipei did not qualify all three Olympic slots in Copenhagen, and they're going to have to do it at the Continental Qualifier. Yeah, I imagine they will. They're generally a really good team. Oh, so yeah, yeah, solid. I, they, I can't imagine them not was getting just a, three. It had to have been a fluke of yeah. some kind. I mean, that's what happens when when everything comes down to one match, essentially. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's the sport now, you know? Yep. For the men, um, you know, a uh, nice opportunity there for Jake uh, Kaminsky. And uh, he's, you know, he's uh, looking to try to best Mr. Wang of Chinese Taipei in the 
one-eighth elimination that will be coming up. Um, and we're looking at uh, Kim Woojin is in that bracket versus Mangal Champia of India, Mr. Ku uh, of uh, Korea, uh, Ku Bon Chan. He is in a bracket against Taylor Worth of Australia. Uh, Mr. Oniyama of Japan will be up against Mr. Callan of Germany. Uh, Mr. Pila of Colombia will be versus Mr. Rodriguez of Spain. Mr. Talakdar of India versus the Brazilian star, Marcus Dalmeida, who will be here in a, not, a, not too long, a matter of uh, a few days, uh, training with the Brazilian team here at the Archery Center in Salt Lake. I did not know they were coming. Yep, they're going to be here. Ojin Hyuk of Korea is going to be up against Maro Nespoli, and that's after Ojin Hyuk had that uh, really awful situation with his scorecard. That's just uh, still a stunner. Yeah, put him um, in a in a weird spot in the bracket. Yeah, he took out Raul Banerjee, and then he took yeah. out Johan, Jan, Jan Van Tongren. Yeah, um, Jan, my boy. Yeah, he's a good kid. Yeah, yeah, he's all right. I'll tell you, I, I think he's the future of Netherlands archery. And then we've got Chef Van Den Berg, who's uh, another part of the future of Netherlands archery, up against our good friend Crispin Duenas. Yeah, Canada. Crispin shooting a, a huge national record. Crispin's in been shooting outstandingly. Yeah, he had what six eighty five. Yeah, is that? yeah, huge, huge yeah. score for him. Yeah, so. Just tremendous. This will all be history by the time you hear the podcast. But uh, that's that's sort of a it, will it? I mean, it seems like this this is going at the actual Olympic schedule. Yeah, so which it, means each taking, match gets its yeah. individual time out there. It's taking a, a long time. Yeah, this so is, this might be this might be uh, still fresh by yeah. the time some of you get this thing dropped. If I remember right, they weren't coming back till Wednesday. Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe they finish tomorrow. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is that, uh, you know, you can get all these results at ianseo.net, I-A-N-S-E-O dot N-E-T. And um, I don't know if there's any video. I have not found any uh, any any video yet. Yeah, maybe they'll have the finals, but I haven't heard anything. Yeah, they, they could be. You know, the video from the London test event was provided by the U.S. Embassy in London. There wasn't an actual video crew there. So. Awesome. So that you know, that's just a test event. I mean, it's it's not meant to uh, be a full up event, but it is meant to give some familiarity to everybody and and get them feeling like they're there. Yeah, but if you're a fan of archery, I mean, you get to watch uh, results trickle in for like nine days in a row. It's yeah. kind of exciting, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I saw some stuff on. There must be some video out there. I saw some stuff on social media. People complaining, oh, they're shooting over a parking lot. Well, okay, give me a break. They didn't have lords set up with the stands or anything else. They had a grass field. None of these test events are ever the final event. I mean, yeah, this for isn't what it's going to look like. No, for Carnival, that Sambadromo is completely painted white, and it looks like a completely different thing. Of course, it's going to be different for the Olympic Games. You'd have to, you'd have to not, you know, not yeah. not be watching what's going on. It's an archery only test event. They aren't yeah. ramping up for everything right now. No. So all the test events have been taking place for the Rio Games since uh, something like July. So there's plenty of time to clean it up and, and get it the way you think it should be. That won't be a problem. All right. Well, I think that I think that the fact that Korea has uh, you know won that gold medal as a women's team, beating Ukraine by the way, um, is um, not particularly a shock in any way, shape, or form. As you pointed out, you know they they are always winning at the Olympic Games themselves. But I'm going to point out that Korea has been vulnerable in the last 18 months. They have shown less of that unstoppable quality that they had before. And, and that was most evidenced earlier this year when Japan beat them at the World Cup in Antalya, crushed them, in fact. 
So it's there, Shanghai. No, yeah, it was Antalya. Way. I was there, and I can tell you that you know I think that there are still some nerves at work in the Korean team. Now they're definitely getting better, and and by the time they peak for the Olympics, they may again be the unstoppable force that they've been. Right, but we don't even know who their team will be. That's what's so interesting. It I is mean, interesting. Kibo Bay just won a world championship. The last time, you know, uh, at, look, before the last Olympics, uh, Im Dong Hyun won the world championship yeah. and then wasn't on the team. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. And, you know, what we're looking at here is um, it, it's certainly possible that we're going to see the team of Kang and uh, Ki and Choi. But it's also possible somebody else will come out of the woodwork. When you've got that much depth, when you've got that many people chomping at the bit to try to replace you on a team and you have a few bad days here and there, maybe you get an injury, anything can happen. And goodness knows Korea's got the most depth of any country in the world when it comes to our sport. So it could be anybody over there next year. It could be people we haven't seen yet. Right. It could be uh, fresh-faced newbies. Well, we'll have a taste of that when we see the Asian Championship where I will be uh, headed um, in November. The Asian Championship will be taking place first week of November. And, of course, Korea will be a force to be reckoned with there. But so will Japan. And so will Malaysia. Yeah, India. India. A number of good teams. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at uh, by no means is this anything other than just to point out that, that Korea's got such power and depth that you never know who will end up, you know, on that team. But whoever it is, history is proven as the best prospect for taking the Olympic gold. So... All right, that just about wraps it up for this uh, segment of the podcast. I'm headed yeah. to Japan tomorrow. And, You're leaving tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Tomorrow. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got uh, nothing time on the golf course. Yeah, I'm probably going to hit the golf course. No, actually, I do have uh, Feet of Field Nationals this weekend. Oh. Yeah, I've got to shoot that. And I, I You mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, you mean NAA. World Field. No, yeah, you don't. Whatever you want to call what it. What are we saying? NAA, FIDA. USA We're just old school. Nationals, yeah. USA Archery Field Nationals. Yeah, I, so I'll be in Yankton. Heck with it. I'm saying, you know what? You know what I found in my drawer the other day? I found an original FITA, F-I-T-A, Federation International de Tirolark crest sticker. Mm. And I'm going to stick that sucker on my spotting scope. That's uh, kicking it old school. Hey, man, that's got class. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about next time, George? I mean, we rambled about. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna Shot take the recorder stabilizers. Yeah, you know, and 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 you know what? We have an opportunity here because we're gonna have a little bit of a lull before the next podcast. We're gonna be, I'm gonna be gone for a week, so right. Um, although I I don't know if I can trust you to make a podcast on your own. I'll I'll just get on the mic and just start talking. Whatever might... whatever goes through my head, it will come out my mouth. Okay, so I'm taking the equipment with me to Japan. <laughs> and I'm going to actually I'm gonna have a chat with some folks from uh, from Tokyo 2020. Get yeah, their perspective on things. So yeah. I, I, we've got that set up. And um, hey, you know, we've got 11 subscribers in Japan. Last time I checked. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're it's 11 people time. who paid yeah. attention in their high school English lessons. <laughs> <laughs> all, Good for them. All 11. As a percentage of the population, that's not too impressive. But anyway, um, yeah. We're, yeah. We're going to uh, have that for a discussion. But we'll we'll keep that in the can. And we'll, we'll, you and I will talk about... Uh, the end of the test event and where things are going from here. And I think indoor season prep is going to be our next technical podcast. Yeah, that sounds about right. Indoor I mean, season prep, both in terms of stabilization, arrow selection, all that sort of thing. Point weight, getting the arrows broken down to work with your point weight, all that happy stuff. When it's acceptable to actually Rob, start setting Rob is, your bow up for indoors. Because yeah. there's, there's some sensitivity there with me. 
I mean, if you're if you're making indoor posts in August, I got issue with that. Yeah, yeah. H- hand your mic to to Rob for a second yep. here. I just want to ask him a couple quick questions. Sorry, go ahead, George. Sorry to drag you back in here. Um, when do people start buying stuff for indoor? I mean, when do you start seeing the the trend? For- oh, October. Yeah, yeah. So people are still. Yeah, people are starting to gear up in October, and um, it really. By December, they're full into it. What do you anticipate this season from the standpoint of trends in, in arrows, for example? Well, I think the the uh, the new anniversary edition uh, X7, X23, and 27 is going to do awesome. I think that'll uh, make a major uh, showing at all the tournaments. Um, you know, the the aluminum arrow, I think, still dominates for indoor target archery. Yeah, I, you know, when we brought out that silver X23, X27 series, what we were trying to do was show people, you know what, aluminum is still significant. We had black eclipse arrows out there. They all look like a carbon arrow. And we thought, you know what, it's aluminum, and we're proud of it, darn it. We make them right here across the street, yeah. and, and why not show them off? Absolutely. So, yeah, so I hope you like that. We yeah. love it. All right, good. So uh, thanks for that insight, Rob. Um Steve, I think that we've uh, reached the point where we need to wrap it up. We're past the point of needing to wrap it up, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're right. No one's going to hear me say that. No, because they've already tuned out. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. It's no. staying in the show. Just like just like my earlier comment Let's about with it. Just like my earlier comment back to my friend Chris Wells. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor Chris. Chris, just to let you know, I think the website's all right. Because Steve's a young guy. Yes. <laughs> And for that, that uh, that concludes our latest Easton podcast. I'm George Tekmachev, and for Steve the Big Cat Anderson. Hey, Jeff, I'm sorry. We're not going to change it. Not for you. <laughs> Have a good day. We'll see you later. Adios.